Luke chapter 9, beginning with verse 57. Luke chapter 9, beginning with verse 57. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me, but the man replied, Lord, first, let me go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no man who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, I pray that everybody here this morning will sense, first of all, that you are calling them to follow you. And second, Lord, I pray that everybody in this building will leave here knowing not only that you are calling them to follow you, but that you accept no excuses, even those that sound good. You're a no-excuse kind of Savior. And while at times you may be soft and kind and merciful and gracious, there are other times when you are quite stern, quite forthright with what you expect of your children. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to know not only the soft side of our Savior, but also the stern side. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Recently, I ran across a website that is of a company that offers excuses, in this case, fake doctor's excuses for a fee. I couldn't believe it. All I did was put the word excuses in the Google search window and hit it, and, and the second window, wasn't the first one, but the second window that came up was a place called Excusamat, where you can actually download authentic-looking doctor's excuses for a fee. Some of them uh, even have the, the brand logo of brand-name medications on them. Can you believe that? I couldn't believe it. They were offering them for a fee. Now, I got to thinking about this, and I thought, how, could, how in the world would there be enough business for this website company, this company, to be in business. And so then I got to looking a little further. And I realized that there wasn't just the excusemat.com website, but there were scores of websites of different companies that offer fake but authentic-looking doctor's excuses for a fee. You pay the fee, you put it on your credit card, and you can download it just like that and you can take it to school some of you parents are thrilled that i'm sharing this information right now you can take it to work 
These things look so real. There was even one website that was a membership-only website. And the, 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 if, when you went to this website, they said, look, forget this idea of paying per excuse. Forget that. That will cost you too much. If you'll just subscribe to a membership with our company, you can download 100 fake doctor excuses to take with you to work or to take with you to school. And they even offered some examples with the word sample uh, watermarked all the way across the front so you couldn't just download it and make it work. I was amazed. There must be a market for fake excuses. I'm wondering now how many I've seen. I'm wondering how many we Christians might use. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus is on his way from Galilee to Jerusalem. And as he is on his way from Galilee to Jerusalem, he is approached by three men. And he offers an invitation to these three men. And in response, these three men offer excuses. They respond with excuses. Now, I'll have to tell you, I've always had trouble with this passage of Scripture. And uh, we, you, you'll be able to find out as we go throughout this message why I've had so much trouble with this passage of Scripture. Uh, it didn't make Jesus look all that good, to be honest with you, just on the surface. But here were three men Jesus invited to follow him, and they offered excuses. If these three men were living today, it is quite possible that they would be men who would put excuses in the Google search window, and they would see the excusomat.com window come up, and they would click on it, and they would download a good excuse. There are four observations that I think we can make from this passage of Scripture about excuses. And you can see where I'm going. You can see exactly where I'm going. I'm talking to you and me when, not if, when we decide to offer an excuse instead of a commitment. Some of you are right there. Some of you are at the place where you are offering an excuse as opposed to a commitment. I want to offer four observations right out of this passage of Scripture for you and me when we're in that position or in that situation. The first thing I want you to notice is that Jesus invited the three men to follow him. Jesus invites people to follow him. I love the way that Luke starts this passage off in uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 57. He says, as they were walking along the road. If you study the gospel of Luke closely, you'll find that Luke talks a lot about discipleship. Discipleship is the idea of following Jesus. When somebody refers to, when somebody uses the term discipleship, what they're talking about is following Jesus. A disciple is a follower of Jesus. Not every Christian, by the way, has become a follower of Jesus. There's a difference. There are Christians who somewhere since the time they received Christ as Savior made a decision, consciously or unconsciously, to stop following Jesus. I'm not talking about being a Christian. I'm talking about being a follower of Jesus. And an argument could be made, perhaps, 
that if you're not a follower of Jesus, how could you really be a true Christian? But that's a totally different question than what I'm addressing here in this message. Whenever Luke talks about discipleship, when he talks about the idea of following Jesus, he uses a metaphor. And the metaphor that he uses is walking down the road. As they were walking down the road. Some of the translations say, as they were on the way. On the way where? On the way to somewhere. On the way to Jerusalem. On the way to the most important uh, event in all of the history of humanity, all of the history of the universe. They were on the the way. Luke says, as they were walking along the road. That's what discipleship is. It is a journey down the road, and it is a journey in which Jesus is leading us, and we are following him. It's a, it's a hard road. I will drive up and have a funeral this afternoon at three o'clock at, at my former church. I'm going to bury Hazel and Amon's daughter. I want you to get this. I buried Hazel's mother, Miss Ora. And I buried Hazel's grandson, Alex. And I buried, uh, I say I, we buried Hazel's husband, Amon. And then her sister, Daisy. And now her daughter, Martha. And she has no more. And on the phone, she said to me, why Alex, my grandson, and why Lowell, my son, and why Martha, my daughter, I'm 81 years old. Why not just go ahead and take me? It's not right for a mother to outlive her grandchildren and children. And I sat there on the phone and I said, Hazel, I have no words. The life of following Jesus is not one that always promises happiness and pleasure. It has hazards. It has obstacles. It has potholes, and it has uh, uh, unexpected curves. And sometime in the dark of night, those unexpected curves along the road of following Jesus are covered with black ice that we don't know is there until we're there. On the other, time, on the other hand, there, there are times when it is so scenic, so wonderful, so beautiful, so gratifying, so fulfilling, so blessed because it is a, a, a walk along the way of following Jesus. Jesus invites us to follow him. The second observation that we can make in this passage of Scripture is this. The men offered excuses for not following Jesus. Uh, people tend to offer excuses for not following Jesus. And, and the reason is, is because just what I said, we know that there's black eyes. We know that there are potholes. We know that there are unexpected curves. We know that there are hazards. And while, yes, we know that there are blessing and there is wonder and there is at times pleasure and there are a multitude of blessings, we are very much concerned about the hazards. 
Because God doesn't always stick up a big yellow uh, warning sign a quarter of a mile up the road to let you know that there's a hazard a quarter of a mile down the road. He just tells you at the front of the journey. There are no signs out there, but just know they're there. You need to be watching. There's going to be blessing, but there are going to be hazards. These men offered excuses for not following Jesus. The first man, actually, I think was... Uh, I like him best of all because he initiated the conversation with Jesus. He approached Jesus, and here's what he said. I will go with you, say this, anywhere, anywhere you want me to go. I will follow you anywhere. Here is really what he should have said because this is what he meant. I will follow you anywhere but nowhere. But he was not willing to follow Jesus nowhere. And the problem with that is that's the only thing Jesus could guarantee him. You'll follow me anywhere? Well, how about will you follow me to nowhere? Because he said foxes have holes where they can live and birds of the air have nests. But he said, I want you to listen. If you're going to follow me, boy, I'm that, I rejoice and I welcome you to follow me. But understand this, there are more nights than not when I lay my head down on a pillowless bed on the ground. The Son of Man has no pillow on which to lay his head. Now, we, we, that, the conversation ends right there, but the... If you look at the, the response of the other two men, then the assumed response of the first guy is that that was a little more than he had bargained for. He was one of these kind who said, look, uh, Lord, I'll follow you anywhere. But what he really meant was, I'll follow you anywhere as long as everywhere we go, there is at least, if not a five-star hotel, at least a Holiday Inn Express that gets vacuumed and the, and the linens changed every night. And Jesus could not promise him that. And so this first man was a man who was not willing to go just nowhere. And, and becoming a follower, a disciple of Jesus, what he saw was that, that becoming a follower of Jesus did not guarantee him a place, a profession, did not guarantee him possessions, did not guarantee him personhood. There were no guarantees except for, I want you to know, most of the time, we won't have a place to stay. There was a second young man who approached, uh, approached Jesus, except Jesus initiated the conversation with him. The first man initiated the conversation, but the second man, Jesus, initiated it with him. And Jesus came up to him and he says, follow me. And the man said this. He says, Lord, let me first go bury my father. Uh, now, Luke doesn't tell us, but it is possible that this may have been either an only son or at least the older son, the oldest son of the family, if that is the case, and we don't know. But if it's the case, the oldest son in ancient Jewish culture was assigned the task of caring for his parents and burying his parents when they died. That's the reason when uh, parents did die, that the oldest son received not just a, an equal portion of the estate, he received a double portion of the estate. And it wasn't because they favored him, it was because it was his responsibility to see that all of mom and dad's affairs are, are, are paid off and that they are buried. So it's possible that he could have been the oldest son. If that is so, and again we don't know, then it's quite possible that his mom and dad were still alive. And he was basically saying, look, I'll follow you, but, but you know, I need to wait until mom and dad are gone. 
Let me first go bury my father. Whatever the case was, this much is sure. This was a man who wanted so much to follow Jesus when it was convenient for him. Now, just in your mind, will you just be thinking about contemplating which of those first two guys you're like? You'll follow Jesus as long as it's comfy. Is that you? Or you'll follow Jesus as long as it's convenient. Is, is, that, is that where you are? There was a third man. He was also approached by Jesus. And Jesus offers the same invitation to him. He says, follow me. And the man says this. He says, let me first go back and say goodbye to my family. And first time I ever read this, and he said, let me first go back and say goodbye to my family, I fully expected Jesus, being the gracious, kind, merciful, good, mannerly man that I felt that he was, I expected him to say, okay, but hurry. Okay, but hurry back. And so how surprised I was when Jesus said this. He says, he said, let me tell you something. No man, having put his hands to the plow and looking back, is fit for service in the kingdom of God. And all of a sudden, I realized that this kind and gracious and merciful and mannerly man whom I call Savior is serious. He is serious about you and me following him. So Jesus is inviting people to follow him, but like these men, we tend to offer excuses for following Jesus. Now, the third observation I want to make about, uh, out of this passage is this. The excuses offered were good excuses. They were good excuses. I don't know how you are. I kind of, uh, of course, I'm, I'm not really the camping type, so I, I kind of relate to this first guy. I want to follow you, but it's not, we're not going to always be in primitive situations, are we? Uh, I'm not going to have to go use an outhouse or anything like that, am I? The linens are going to be changed. If I get to the motel, I'm not going to find grit and hair and stuff in the bed linens, am I? I kind of like comfy. So I can kind of relate to him. Lord, please tell me that, it, that, that, it's, it, that if I follow you, there at least... I understand that there may be times when we don't have a place to say, but can you make it a minority of the times? No. Well, let me think about that. I'll tell you what, I'll pray about it. I'll pray about it. I love to hear that. God's calling somebody, well, I'll pray about it. Listen, if God's already told you to do it, what are you praying for? There are times when it's time to stop praying and start doing I can really uh, sympathize with the guy who says, look, I I'll, I'll be glad to follow you, but let me first go bury my father. Folks, I mean, let's just be honest. When you read that, don't you feel like that sounds pretty reasonable? It was a good excuse. I think it was. I think if you're honest, you think it was. And I run into every, almost every week, sometimes every day, I'll run into Christians, oh, no, that wasn't reasonable. God thing. 
I love God things. I even really sympathize with the guy who said, let me first go back and say goodbye to my family. I have to tell you, I would have done that. That could have easily been me. God comes to me. I'm in the middle of a week. I'm I'm riding down Highway 29 or down uh, uh, Ridley Road or or up Interstate 85, and God says to me in in a strong voice, he says, I want you to follow me, Jimmy. It's going to require you going away. I said, well, can I go back and at least say Say something to Amanda, Hillary, Zach, can I do that? Maybe see if they want to go. No. I think, I think the excuses they offered were reasonable excuses, just looking at them honestly. They were good excuses. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. Are you ready for this problem? Jesus saw them as excuses. He did not see them as reasons that could be justified he saw them as excuses that needed to be done away with and ladies and gentlemen while you and i might be might think very highly of our own opinion of these excuses the one opinion that really counts is the opinion of Jesus, and Jesus saw these not as good excuses, not as justifiable reasons. He saw them as excuses that weren't worth speaking. What in the world? You and I offer excuses, but the excuses we offer are just that. They are excuses. They are still excuses then that leads me to the fourth observation these excuses were not good enough for Jesus one of my favorite speakers is a fellow who's been speaking a long time uh, he's on up in his I guess 70s or 80s Zig Ziglar anybody ever heard Zig Ziglar speak what a great guy he's a member of a I think Prestonwood Baptist Church in Dallas used to be a, a member of First Baptist Church Dallas years ago Used to teach Sunday school class in the sanctuary. He told one time about a fellow who went next door to borrow his neighbor's lawnmower. Can I borrow your lawnmower? And the neighbor explained that he could not let him use the lawnmower. Okay. Why is it tore up or something? Why is it? Well, you can't use the lawnmower because all the flights have been canceled from New York to Los Angeles. And the guy said, well, okay, but what has the cancellation of flights from New York to Los Angeles got to do with whether or not I can borrow your lawnmower? And the guy said, well, if you're going to say no, one excuse is as good as another. <laughs> did you know, listen to this, this doesn't originate with me, but did you know that a field does not get plowed by turning it over in your mind? Three men approached by Jesus, and they turned out to be discipleship dropouts with seemingly good excuses, but excuses that didn't hold water with Jesus. I want you to get this. Listen to this. Are you listening? Everybody listening? Raise your hand if you're listening. They offered excuses, but in the eyes of God, those who excused themselves really 
accuse themselves. Did you hear that? Those who excuse themselves really accuse themselves. Now, I will have to tell you that these guys are in good company in the Bible. There were people who offered excuses all through the Bible. Elijah, that great man Elijah, great man of God. One time God was calling him and he says, God, I, I can't take this anymore. I want to die. My nerves can't take it. That was his excuse. Isaiah said one time, he said, Lord, you're going to have to excuse me because I am rotten. I am ruined. Jeremiah said, Lord, you've got to excuse me. I'm too young. Perhaps the most prolific excuse maker of them all, oh, Moses. You remember Moses? God meets Moses on Mount Sinai. Moses is 80 years old when God confronts him on Mount Sinai, and he says, I want you to go back to Egypt and bring my people out of there. And Moses offers a whole barrage of excuses. First of all, he says, he says I, I'm too old, 80 years old. When that one didn't work, God shot down that excuse. Moses came back and he says, you'll have to excuse me because I'm not a good public speaker. In fact, he, he stuttered. Moses stuttered. When that failed to convince the Lord, the, uh, Moses finally said this. He says, he says, there are other people who are better than me in doing this job. I've heard that before. Other people could do it better. And even though it's not in the, in the text, I, I hear God say, and your point is? Excuses. The great 1800s evangelist D.L. Moody said this. He says, excuses are the cradle that Satan rocks men off to sleep in. By the way, speaking of excuses and things like going to church, did I tell you why I quit going to the Georgia football game? Did I tell you all that? I haven't told you, have I? Well, I need to tell you. Since it's football season, I'm going to tell you why I quit going to the Georgia football game. I have eight reasons. Number one, whenever I go to the game, it never fails that the Alumni Association keeps sending me stuff in the mail asking for money. Why would I quit going to the games? Number two, because when I go to the games, the other fans don't care a rip about me. Most of them don't speak to me. Why would I quit going to the games? The seats are too hard. Why do I quit going to the game? Coach Rick never visits me. He needs to visit me this year. <laughs> Number five, because the referees make decisions I don't agree with. Quit going to the Georgia football games because, number six, the games go too long and they make me late for dinner. Number seven, the Red Coat Band plays songs I don't know. Makes me mad. Finally, I quit going because my parents took me to too many Georgia games when I was a kid. I hope you heard what I was really saying. It's amazing to me that we won't use the same excuses for our favorite college football game that we use routinely to excuse ourselves from following Christ. What about you? Are you a disciple? Are you following Jesus? Following him in worship on a regular basis? Following him in witnessing? Following him in a prayer life? Following him 
in uh, having fellowship with other Christians, following him in, in, in a regular Bible study groups. Are you doing that? We, ha we have on average about 110 to 120 people in worship every Sunday who are not in a Sunday school class. What, what is your excuse for that? Are you giving 10% of your income to the Lord's work through the church? Are you going to be a part of this campaign? If not, what's your excuse? Next Sunday, Celebration Sunday. We won't have Bible study Sunday school here. We'll be meeting for worship on the property at 1030. I hope you'll come. In preparation for that, I'm asking you to do three things. One, make a commitment to be a tithing member of this church, giving 10% of your gross income to the Lord through this church. Second, that you make a three-year financial commitment to the campaign if you can. Most of us can. Some of us can't. I know that's true. I know that. I've heard from some of you. And you want to, but you can't. I understand that. Don't worry about it. But for about 85 to 90% of us, we can't. Will you make a three-year commitment? What you can do over three years. And then third, if you can, if for those who make a three-year commitment, I'm asking those of us who can to come and bring the first part of that, the first installment of that, the first fruit of that three-year commitment, bring it either in cash or check or, or whatever it is you want to give. Times are hard. The economy's bad. Some of us have different things we've got to do. Some of you may, may be like us. I mean, Hillary's about to go to pharmacy school. It's going to cost me over the next three years an average of $25,000 to $30,000 a year. I don't have it, but I'm making more than a tithe to this church, and I'm making a commitment to this campaign. And I will bring the first part of that Sunday morning. I will. I'm not going to ask you to do what I'm not willing to do myself. Now, Next Sunday morning, there will be two types of people. Whether at the property or not, there will be two types of people. There will be those who will make a commitment, or there will be those who will make an excuse. And so the decision is, which one are you going to be? Enough said. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these days. These are tough days. Asking people to do what is a little uncomfortable doing, these are tough days. Asking people to give to a campaign in a bad economy, these are tough days. These are the days that as a pastor I'd just soon not have to do. But then, there will come along those days when I get to baptize a Mary Richardson that makes so much worthwhile. Lord, there are people in this congregation who need to receive Jesus as their Savior. They haven't done it, and they need to. And I pray that you'd help them to move out from where they are, come to the front here, and ask Jesus to be their Savior and Lord. 
There are people here who are Christians, but Lord, they're Christians who are not following you. They've offered up some sort of excuse that sounds good to them and may sound good to their family, but is not an excuse that you're accepting. And I pray that they would be willing to step out from where they are and come to this front and say, enough of the excuses. I'm making a commitment full steam ahead. God help us. Lord, there are people here who need to join this church. Right now, they're reaping the benefits. They're kind of cohabitating with us without getting married to us. And it's, it's, it's time. Help us to follow you. Help us to get on the road. You'll help us through the black ice and the pitfalls. You'll help us. In Jesus' name.